Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, very pleasant uh, good morning to you. It is Tuesday, the 29th of August, and this is OneRadioNetwork.com. The beautiful Hill Country is going through what the World Economic Forum is calling global boiling. Thanks to them. Just kidding. It's been really warm here, 105, 106, 107. It's just been real, real fun. The uh, phone lines will not be used this morning because we are recording the show because our guests live in New Zealand where it's a 17-hour difference. And if we would do this live on Tuesday, I think we would be in the middle of the night. And that, that won't work, right? Because, you know, that won't work. You guys are feeding your chickens and things like that. Uh, the lovely couple you see there is Dr. Sam Bailey and Dr. Mark Bailey. They're married with the three children in New Zealand. And um, we're going to have some fun here. How are you guys doing? How are things? What's going on? We're really great, Patrick. Thank you for having us. Oh. It's um, It's been a busy morning with chickens and sheep and <laughs> all sorts of wild animals. <laughs> I see. Uh-huh. Is it true that there's more sheep than people in New Zealand? Is that true? Or is that just on the internet? Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> I think there's about five sheep for each person in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, although the numbers have gone down a lot since our peak. But uh, I think we still have a lot. And I think cows outnumber people in New Zealand as well. So, oh, really? Yeah. I so, think- yeah, if the World Economic Forum's watching, we're going to keep going and- <laughs> And uh, right. there's lots of animals that they don't like here, you know. So, oh, I know that. so that's a problem for them. Dr. Samantha Bailey, she co-authored a couple of books, uh, Virus Mania and a Terrain book with uh, Dr. Williams. I need to ask about that. Then Mark uh, Bailey, he, uh, he wrote a really nice piece about almost 70 pages, Farewell to Virology. And you can get these everything on drsambailey.com, drsambailey.com. I printed out, uh, well, I sent it to um, a little printer in Dripping Springs, and they printed out your book and made a little book out of it. So I have a hard copy. So I just hang around the house and I read it a little bit. My head explodes. I have to tell you, my head explodes. It gets a little geeky there, Dr. Bailey. It gets a little woo. Well, Patrick, the good news is is that um, another friend of yours, Steve Falkner, has made a farewell to virology into a film. So, yep. And Steve's added some masterful touches because, as you know, it's a fairly technical paper. It looks at the scientific evidence for viruses and finds that there is none. But Steve has that amazing ability to it's, connect it's, with a broader audience and explain things in terms which really make sense. So yeah. part one of A Farewell to Virology is now uh, showing on BitChute and Odyssey on the Space Busters channel. And it's this is just part one of the three-part series of the essay. And uh, it's really exciting. So pe- people have been really enjoying it. Yeah, I watched uh, a lot of it uh, the other day over the weekend, I guess. And we put it up on our BitChute channel. And then we also posted it on Facebook this morning. But it was interesting where Facebook wouldn't let me do the BitChute link, but they would do the Odyssey link. So Facebook's got a little thing going on with your video. But it's great. It's, uh, uh, is it called Farewell to Virology? Is that the title of it? Okay, part one, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, he does a great job. He's a, boy, he really, you know, he really puts all the little slides and everything together and just, yeah, it's really nice. So we put it on, on Facebook. Um, you know, the, the, the idea of isolating the virus, of course, has been the mother load of all the work of Lanka, Cowan, and all of you know virus people. And um, um, for new people, just to tell quickly what that means when you say the virus has never been isolated. Because we get a lot of new people from around the world. What does that, what does that mean? Well, what's happened in virology is that if we go back more than 100 years, we had the concept of, you know, germs and microbes, obviously. And initially that was bacteria and fungal cells. And with the light microscope, they were able to see these things. And But then they couldn't explain all diseases. And in fact, those microbes don't actually explain any diseases. That's a whole other thing about germ theory not being correct. But what happened was that they imagined that there must be some other particles that they couldn't see that were even smaller than bacteria or what we might call sub-microscopic particles. So they invented this concept of viruses. Now, initially, viruses were just known as poisons or fluid contagiosum, some of them uh, used to call it, and they really had no idea what these might be. And when the electron micrograph was invented in the 1930s, they thought, aha, now we'll find them in the tissues of sick people. But they couldn't find any. And that was a real problem because previously they had isolated little microbes, you know, your little bacteria, whether it was Salmonella or E. coli or all of these species. But with uh, these so-called viruses, they couldn't isolate any physically. We're talking about physical isolation, which is the true meaning of the word, which is to separate everything else out and just have that in the sample. So they kept trying and uh, they were certainly right up until around the 1970s were doing a lot of techniques with filtration and you know high-speed centrifugation, spinning the samples, etc., trying to purify these particles, which they thought were viruses. But what happened was that every time they managed to purify something, it was basically completely harmless. So when they would take these particles and then expose them to people or animals, it wouldn't do the things that the virus is supposed to do, which is make people sick and be a contagious entity. So what they did with the word isolation is that the virologists just started coming up with new definitions, like some of the stupidest ones post-World War II in the common cold unit in the United Kingdom. You read a paper and it says, we isolated a, quote, virus by taking a sample from the patient's nose so literally just taking a drop or two out of someone's nose and that was described as the isolation process or you know and you're aware of this they started doing monkey cell culture experiments you know monkey kidney cells and putting things in a petri dish and then the cells would explode and fall apart and then they'd go well that must be the virus in there it looks like we've isolated it and no that's just a whole cell culture soup a whole mixture of tissue there's no way to know that there's a virus in there and then so they've had all these iterations if you like and they sort of gave up on trying to purify things late last century and then they moved into the new paradigm we're in 
which is the whole genomics, you know, that they say that they're finding genetic material and that that must belong to the virus, even though they've never shown that for any virus in history. So now they just detect genetic sequences and proteins and just the detection of them in a sample, and they could be a sample that they just, you know, some poo sitting in a paddock or um, someone's snot coming out of their nose or, you know, anything. And the detection of this material is called, quote, isolation. So, and, and it's really difficult, Patrick, because we've had conversations with people in the industry and we say to them, can you not see that you're not isolating any, anything? Mm-hmm. And they get into this long-winded explanation about how, no, the genetic sequences are very specific and once we find those, that means we've isolated. And you just, it's very frustrating to show them that yeah, they yeah. haven't isolated the thing mm-hmm. because isolation means to get something by itself and then demonstrate that it is a virus. So, uh, if you were if you were trying to prove this, like in a court, this isolation, this would be what they. I've watched a lot of uh, uh, courtroom drama, so I know this stuff. I'm just kidding. Uh, there's a thing called exculpatory, right? Exculpatory evidence. This is like the motherload, right? If you got well, he got the gun and his fingerprints are on the gun and blah blah blah, you kind of kind of throw him in jail, right? That's like the exculpatory. So would the would the isolation process be like the exculpatory evidence to prove, or are there other things um, that um, that support the no virus uh, model that you and others are working with? Are there other things other than isolation? Definitely, yeah. Basically, all of so-called virological science refutes itself. You know, and that's what we're showing them. We're saying even on their own terms, it doesn't work because, for instance, a classic they try and show is this contagious element. And Mm. they do hundreds, thousands of these animal studies. Some of them are hideous. And when they put the animals in the cage together or when they spray something in the air, nothing ever happens. None of the animals get sick uh, like they're supposed to. Or if something happens to them, it's not the same as the disease is supposed to be. So that doesn't happen. And then, of course, for 100 years, they've been trying to show this transmission between humans, you know, and they can't do it. And we've been back through all of their efforts to say, could put it this way, the CDC and all of these entities claim that they're so infectious that if you're six feet away from someone or further, just the mere breathing or coughing could cause them to die, basically. Very deadly, they say, these viruses in the air. Well, that's interesting because when they take huge samples of what they say are viruses and do all sorts of things to people and animals, pour them down their throats and in their lungs and stuff, it generally doesn't replicate anything like they they say it would. There's certainly no evidence that in natural settings, you know, breathing in, uh, coughing, sneezing, touching surfaces, all this kind of stuff, Nobody gets sick that way. They can't replicate that in an experiment. And disappointingly, despite all of these failures over the years, we're now starting to see people say, well, maybe the conditions weren't quite right and da-da-da-da. And we're like, well, they're using like a million times the required, apparent required concentrations and amounts, and it's still not working. So, yeah, so the contagion thing is one. I would say the whole 
Yeah, the electron microscopy really doesn't support the viral theory as well because when we take tissue from sick people and healthy people, it basically looks the same under the electron microscope to the degree where they can't show that the so-called virus infected people have lots of these particles. They simply do not find them at all. And that's a major, major wow. issue for the virus theory. So there's no... And then, oh, go, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, and then we've just got the other whole elephant in the room, which is they're ignoring why people get sick and they're just focusing on one thing. Like they might say, I mean, we saw this at the start of COVID. Like, you know, they have a church group and there are 50 people there and three had a positive PCR and a bit of a snivelly nose and they said, oh my goodness, that's, that's COVID-19 spreading around. And you're like, well, what about the other 47 people? Why didn't they get anything? And what about the fact that those three people had all eaten the same thing or been to the same restaurant? They just ignore all of these other factors or... You know, instead of looking at the individual and going through everything which may have led up to this illness, all they do is a test and say, were you in contact with this person? And uh, it gets even more preposterous because with things like glandular fever, you know, which is supposedly Epstein-Barr virus, oh, they say that you can be infectious for six to 12 months. So now that anyone you're in contact with over a period of six to 12 months, apparently you can, quote, infect them. So, you know, they're just making up uh, epidemiology as a backstory to try and explain the failings of all of the basic science. So, I mean, there are many other aspects as well that we've gone through, um, and those are other people the, those like are Mike the major Stone ones, have yeah. systematically gone through as well. But so they, no one has ever been able to actually prove with controlled studies or anything that you can take something from someone and give it to somebody else, which is called contagion, right? I mean. They claim it goes through the air, but they've never been able to transfer snot or anything, even with polio or HIV or um, the, the, what was it, Spanish flu. None of those things. They were never able to prove that people caught something from one another. Yeah, and those, and as can I say, in those historic um, studies, no. And now they won't do those same studies because they say it's unethical. Yeah, and we should point out too, Patrick, that this is the problem for the viral theory is that we half, half the time we don't even need to look at it because it's failed with bacteria. So they know this dating back as far as cholera, etc. That if you purify the bacteria, just get it by itself and swallow it, etc., in reasonable quantities that you'd expect to be normal, nothing happens. It's only if you swallow sewer water that you get sick. And of course, well, hang on. Who's doing that? <laughs> sewer water has got a whole lot of other stuff sewer, in, yeah. a whole lot of toxins that are not suitable oh. for human ingestion. So it's not, because contagion, remember, is something specific. Mm -hmm. Contagion is not poisoning mm -hmm. and it's not contamination. Contagion is the concept that a disease, a very specific disease, passes around because of a microorganism. So it has to be because of bacteria, fungi, all these invented viruses. So I think that's where people get confused too because they'll say, well, we were at a family gathering and we went and got takeaways and 50% of people came down sick, da-da-da-da. Well, that's not contagion and that's not infection. That's everyone eating some contaminated food. Sure, sure. Um, uh, 
This is OneRadioNetwork.com with Dr. Mark uh, Bailey and his wife, Sam, Samantha Bailey. So, um, do you, these people have worked long and hard to keep this thing going. I mean, is it a stretch to think that they know what they're doing and they're just, they just want to keep this virus mania going, the title of your your book, Sam? I mean, do you think, I mean, I, who knows what's in their hearts, right? But it sounds like this is just what they want to do and they want to just keep this baby rolling. I, I reckon it's a good point, Patrick. I think it's, I don't think, I don't know how much they know. I mean, this is all speculation. Sure. But you, I think they're very opportunistic in that the virus model has really suited their purposes. Just like climate change, I'm not sure how much that's been deliberate or, uh, you know, how much nefariousness is behind it. But definitely it's useful to them because it's this invisible enemy. It creates division between people. It creates a a, a mechanism for them to control us as a population. And essentially the book Virus Mania is really demonstrates the history of pandemics and how we can see how COVID happened and how they're going to continue to keep these pandemics rolling because they can become more and more authoritarian yes. and control us as a population. It feels like... And uh, I think... Go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah, I think, um, Patrick, when you ask about whether people are aware of this or not who are propagating it, I would say most people who do propagate the virus and contagion mythology don't recognize that that's what it is and i don't think because often people say to us well how can millions of people be in on it all around the world and i don't think they are i would say at the higher levels that they know it's a sham because they direct where the funding goes they direct what gets promoted what gets suppressed etc but keep in mind that sam and i we were once doctors inside the system and we were given the textbooks of microbiology, which we thought was real solid science. And we were told, here's measles and here's the measles virus and this is what happens and here's how you test for it, da-da-da-da. And we thought, okay, well, that's sorted. We know about this measles now and so forth with influenza and everything else. And the average doctor and nurse, etc., just accepts all of this and they don't look at it themselves. They wouldn't, for instance, when we were trained as doctors, medical school and then in practice, Sam and I probably looked at no virology papers. <laughs> I, I can say I didn't, <laughs> yeah. for sure. So over six, 16 years, I don't think either of us looked at a virology paper and we just assumed that they knew what they were doing, etc. And when we first, at early 2020, with this whole alleged pandemic, we, for the first time, we started reading these papers and we watched people like Andy Kaufman, you know, start analysing them. We became aware of Stephen Lanker and the Perth group and we, we could see what they were talking about. We thought this is just horrendous. They don't follow the scientific method wow. and uh, there's no basis. So I think, yeah, a lot of people in the system, I don't think they're evil and nefarious. Yeah. I think they, they feel just like follow it. They just, what they, they just know. And you can really understand, you all have been through it, but when you go to medical school and you spend four, six, eight years, whatever it is, in your residency, believing in this thing called a germ, a virus, right, that everybody can catch, and you put on a mask, and God knows. Um, you can really see how it's a hard, it's a hard thing to, to jump over and say, whoa, 
this stuff doesn't exist. So I understand too, you know, it's hard for them. Yeah, yeah and, and it's the medical system, it's, it's a cult. Like you, if you try and step outside of it, you realize straight away you're ostracized and that's what happened. You know, we, you can't you can't not be in med- the medical system and not believe in germ theory. That's, that's like that's it. <laughs> impossible. Yeah, so I, mean, I think, Patrick, there's a, a wider conversation here too because it, it's not just, you know, virology, viruses and germ theory. It's a much broader problem within allopathic medicine is that they teach these models which are false and then they just build and build on these false models and it, when they don't make sense they just ignore it and um, they pr- strongly promote the material that seems to support it anyone saying you know there's something wrong with your experiments there gets quickly suppressed or wow. um, you know yeah. they, they lose their jobs etc so yeah it's a real problem and it's as i say it's it's widespread in medicine like we nowadays people come to see us um you know, we, we don't do consults, but for friends and family, and they, they wave an MRI report or something around and say, hey, I've had the scan, and the surgeons told me this, and and da, da, da. And we say we don't even need to see your scan unless there's a bullet in there or <laughs> <laughs> something unexpected. Um, it doesn't explain how you got unwell in the first place, and we mm-hmm. don't even need to consider that in terms of getting you cured again. So, so do we think that uh, we could maybe toxic things in the air, the water, and toxic thoughts, big deal, right? That can actually damage the tissue in the body, right? Lungs or wherever, throat. And that these viruses, maybe not viruses, but bacteria are trying to clean it up. Is that is that in simplistic terms, in your opinion, what's going on? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's the idea of terrain theory, is that yes. your terrain, the area... The, the environmental conditions that your body and your mind is exposed to um, it, it's constantly trying to basically the body tries to detoxify all uh, these toxins and it could be toxic thoughts and this and this isn't um, you know there, there's science behind this idea as well sure it's not just theory or whatever um, so the once the toxins are here you have to try and the body tries to detoxify but also you've got uh, other ways of, and I think this is really important where people have to consider all the factors in their life. And it's not a 15 minute consult with the GP and some paracetamol or some Tylenol (laughs) or antibiotics is going to sort it out for you. You really have to break it down and look at all the factors, which you think. Yeah, definitely. And I think Patrick, the giveaway that germ theory is incorrect is that we find these busy bacteria all over our bodies. They're so all over. This was the big problem. Yeah, they're everywhere. So, hmm. you know, we go inside the lungs and, oh, look at that, we find mycobacteria, but you're only supposed to have that if you have TB. So what's it doing there, you know? Hmm. Then we find, you know, you might find anthrax spores, you might find uh, border talipertussis, which is supposed to cause whooping cough. So hmm. you, you find all of these things and healthy people, they're already... They're already there. And then if the person gets sick, the numbers might explode of these bacteria. But it's just like saying, okay, now these bacteria have got a real mess to clean up and dead tissue, that's the specialty of microbes. Now, people don't seem to, people understand the concept of if you cut some flesh off an animal and leave it outside, it will start to be broken down. 
by microorganisms. And they seem to struggle with the concept that if your tissue in your body gets devitalized, the same process will happen. The microbes that are already there, they're not invading or anything, they're already there, will start to process the dead tissue. They need to start breaking it down. And sometimes the breakdown can cause um, sickness in people, there's no doubt about it, because it's still attached to a living being. But it's not an invasion. It's not hmm. microbes jump, jumping on you and attacking. Yeah. And, and, you know, it looks, there's, there's the same concept with pleomorphism, which is changing of form, literally means the changing of the form of the bacteria. Now, the mainstream became too much to keep a lid on this. So they've admitted that pleomorphism happens with a very small number of bacterial cells. You know, <laughs> They're admitting that there's a few bacteria that do that. And we would contest that it's much bigger than that, that this, this is a big thing, that bacteria may sit quite dormant in our bodies, just waiting, waiting until they get the call up. Conditions or the terrain change, and then they kick into action. Like like a cleanup crew, so yeah. One so, of the best explanations, sorry, I just really quickly, oh, ahead, Patrick, ahead. I heard was from a um, a naturopath called Barbara O'Neill from Australia, and she described the story, which I love, is that with chickens, right? If um, if you took an egg from a mother hen and shook it really hard, and put it back in, uh, underneath the the chicken, the next day you'd find that the egg was gone. The the mother hens discarded that uh, egg because it can smell that it's not something's funny about it and then within a few days the egg will be um, basically getting smaller and disintegrating you know and there's no damage there's no cracks or anything to the egg there's nothing that's gotten into it it's the bacteria inside that have changed because of the change in the terrain. And then they start going, okay, we, this is not for life anymore. We need to decompose and um, take this back to the earth. And you think it's so simple, wow. really, what, yeah. what life does. Yeah, I got goosebumps when you said that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so are there substances that can be put into a virus category? I don't even know if there is a virus category in the body doing the same thing as bacteria? cleaning things up as well we we don't think so because okay. the thing is by definition and this is where again the definitions in science need to be very precise a virus is supposed to be a replicating tiny little organism that causes disease it's supposed to be an infectious process etc so like like computer viruses <laughs> yeah, yeah they're about yeah. the only real ones yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um th this is the problem is that they the original concept of a virus was probably not that bad you know dating back hundreds and hundreds of years they just said it was a poison basically mm -hmm. they didn't say it was a replicating entity or could pass on between people necessarily and I think if they went back to that definition, that would be fine. It would be similar to us using toxin or poison, etc. But yeah, I have seen. I know what you're talking about, Patrick, because then you get people saying, "Well, we have this virome, and you have uh, you know 16 zillion uh, viruses all over your body, and most of them are helpful or useful or the messengers and all this kind of stuff." But they, if they are talking about that concept, they should not be using the word virus which has a very specific meaning. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, do you all think that uh, 
there's anything out there floating around in the air trying to get us. Is there anything out there? I mean, you think about it, it's like, it doesn't feel like there's anything. Is there? No. Is there? It's because there's not. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. There's not, really. There's, you can see. There's nothing out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And this is where... This is where people like John Rappaport, you know, the investigative reporter, he gets this stuff because he knows that if you want a fear campaign, you've got to do things which are intangible to people so that they can't check it themselves. You've got to have something. You you can't say that there are... There are blue unicorns running around in your backyard because people go out and go, no, there aren't. That's not true. (laughs) But if you say that there are particles that float around and make people sick and you don't have the technology or the Mm know-how, you don't know what we're talking about. It's too sophisticated. But just keep in mind that these things could kill you. People, you know, you'll Mm. get a lot of buy-in on that side of things. A lot of the population will will buy-in. And then, of course, it's easy to distract from, you know, it's a cover story about what really makes people sick. So while people are remaining sick, they're told that they're not doing enough to, you know, protect the population against these things. So, of course, we have all the silly stuff that goes on, face masks and restrictions on movements and then alleged pharmaceuticals, including vaccines. And mm-hmm. every you'll notice that every time it doesn't work out for them, they just say, well, we've got to do it more and we've got to do it harder and we've <laughs> got to do it with new drugs and new medicines. And, see, and yeah. I've got a problem because those of us that completely ignore it, we're not getting sick and our children are not getting sick and nobody's taking any of the vaccines. And according to their studies, you know, we should all be dead by now. But, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's funny if you think about if we were always giving each other something, right, whether it be herpes or STDs or I don't care, you know, we, we'd all be dead, right? We, we'd all be, wouldn't we? I mean. <laughs> I know, so one thing that you brought up too, Mark, which I love, was like, where are all the STDs in the animals? Yeah, you know. You well, have, they just don't date like we do. You know, they don't go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's Patrick. We've, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you a story here on our farm. We have eleven female sheep. You know, eleven mm-hmm. ewes, mm-hmm. and we had one ram. And it looks like he had, you know, he had relations with all of them. Good for and, him. Uh, <laughs> you know, if if there was infections, shouldn't uh, they all be now, you know, sure. infected, etc. Yeah, yeah. because they're not monogamous. And, you know, up the road, there are sheep farms with, you know, 3,000 sheep. And uh, it looks like they just had a small number of rams in there relative to the, the female sheep. Yeah. And you'd think, you know, that the, they're not practicing safe sex. We have a lady on once yeah. a month. Uh, she's in Panama. She's really great. She's an virus gal, Dr. Jennifer Daniels. And she argues that herpes is really uh, a thing about collagen and the skin is just thin, right? Just very thin. And we got these herpes viruses running around everywhere. And herpes has just got a bad name. And if you have a lot of friction, which you can with certain sex and stuff, that these little guys will pop out. And that's what's going on is what she says. It's just not... You didn't catch any herpes, and we can't even give anybody herpes. you agree with that? Yeah, I wouldn't call it a virus, but I'd definitely say it's an inflammatory Inf- type um, process. And I, I totally agree, like, the underlying, it's a it's a traumatic 
um, you know, problem. And I, I, I as, uh, we've talked about this before. Um, I extend that into other areas like urinary tract infections, mm -hmm. particularly for women, often it's a trauma and you get, and with antibiotics and things, people get distracted and they think because it works, you know, it works so quickly sure. and, and to, to suppress inflammation. And I think it doesn't uh, affect uh, the it's not through the germ mechanism. It's basically suppresses inflammation very well, and there are different antibiotics that do that. But it doesn't address the underlying cause, and that's the biggest issue: is that people get distracted and think, "Oh, yeah, that's that's fixed it. It's fixed it. Killed the germs," but it, it hasn't. And wouldn't the antibiotic? Yeah, I wouldn't the excuse me, but wouldn't the antibiotic slow or stop the healing process? And people think that the antibiotic killed a, a germ. Is that what's going on? Well, in the, in the case of uh, like herpes, they say yeah. that it's a virus. Sorry, yeah. So they say that, you know, the, um, that wouldn't work. But say for urinary tract infections, yes, that's what they say, that they, you know, will give something for the bacteria. But right. in that setting, the antibiotics also have other properties and you know it's a chemical going inside your body and it can reduce inflammation in the bladder etc that can be one of the effects which makes it appear hmm. like it's sorted out these bacteria but i think too um sam actually did a video on herpes um, that did people you? can watch and yeah. you know patrick it's exactly what you said about the trauma because when they first did the studies, they thought that you could just take a bit of the so-called fluid, infectious fluid, and just sprinkle it on the skin or around the genitals, and that would cause the next person to get it. Sure. Didn't work. So then they thought, well, maybe if we just scratch the skin a little bit and sprinkle it on. No, it didn't work. Then they got <laughs> a lancet and cut like right into the skin, jabbed them right on the inside, you know, around their genitals and stuff. It must have been really painful and then sprinkled a bit of the fluid in and then said, hey, look at that, you know, if there's a reaction there. Wow. And uh, exactly, they needed trauma to do it. And um, this is really important because people think, well, but it only happens when people have sex, you know, mm -hmm. but that's it. If sex causes trauma to the genitals, you will get damage, which will manifest with various lesions, you know, whether they look like so-called, because herpes is, a condition but it's just not caused by this infectious virus that they're talking about and that's where people get confused too is that there are these conditions but they are not uh, infectious like what people say but we can see the propaganda i mean yeah. you know i grew up as a kid in the 80s and even at primary school elementary school level you know, we had the posters up and everything about Herpes. if you do this and that, you get AIDS and you're dead, you know. it's And they said it's so infectious and all that. And like you say, if if that was the case, why doesn't everyone have AIDS now? Because, yeah. you know, everyone in, in the world has got a connection to someone else and this stuff should have, um, according to their theory, well, we know that in the 1980s because Oprah said that by, you know, the end of the... 1990s or whatever she said that a third of the united states will be dying of aids you know just ridiculous uh predictions wow. think of the millions and millions of people men and women running around blaming their partner on catching herpes you know it's well i got that from you it's terrible oh my god oh gee. 
Oh my, my goodness. Well, I think, Patrick, what it, what it does too, and this is with a lot of um, mm. sickness, is that it takes away the responsibility yes. of the person saying that I am responsible for myself and I did this. And uh, people don't like to hear that because they love going to see the doctor and the doctor says, oh, you've been infected with this or you've been struck down with that. And okay, now we've got the magic cure for you. And it's um, it really distracts from the fact that people should say, how did this come about? What exactly was I doing? What what could I do better to improve myself? Yeah, yeah. And also the, the wrong thinking too. Like people get into this, they don't want to confront the the the, the thoughts, the underlying um, it all. And and when you, it, it's very hard. Even you know, sometimes we try and help friends. You can clearly see there's something else behind it, and you say look, I think there's other things you need to deep, dig deep into. No, no, I want to carry on what I'm doing right now. <laughs> carry on with and everything I'm thinking thing, and I'm doing. <laughs> and just, I, I, I want you to fix this one area mm-hmm. and then everything will be good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Well, and as you all know, because you, you, you think about the mind and how it works and stress, and it's real hard to be a critical thinker when you've got all these, you know, these thoughts running through fear and angst and, you know, paying the bills and whatever, right? It's very hard. And this is what, as you know, what one of their jobs is to keep us in fear and angst and worry so we can't even think about this stuff. You know, we can't dig deep in. Shoo, man. So so what about, um, I've been thinking a lot about parasites. I mean, so many of the natural community that I see online and on Telegram, man, they just want to kill every parasite that just walked and this is, they're going to kill it and they're going to do it and we don't care and this will do it and they give you 20 things to take and you take this every day for 60 days and boy, so maybe these parasites are just are just there too, just to be there. Is it possible that we shouldn't try to kill them? Yeah, I th- that's a really interesting subject, isn't it? Because I think parasites are far more common in the third world and I think there's so many other factors going on there, poor, you know, poorer nutrition. And you want, you still want clean water and things. I think there's this confusion with people that try and attack the terrain theory mm. idea that, oh, no, we don't care what kind of water you drink or anything, you know, it doesn't matter. No, you need good clean water and good food. And I think the parasites are there as a cleanup crew. But you also want to look at the underlying conditions of why they're there, they're there in the first place. And there's mm. that interesting stuff with the ivermectin as well. Yeah, I was going to mention ivermectin. Yeah. Uh, what do you make? I mean, people take ivermectin and they feel better. And that's an anti-parasite thing. But they also could just feel better because they thought they had something. They took something that thought it would work and they feel better. I mean, that goes on too. So there's a lot of moving particles with this whole picture, isn't there? Yeah, well, we've looked into ivermectin, and for one, nobody has ivermectin deficiency. Not a thing. I was going to get some too. You know, yeah, (laughs) you shouldn't supplement with it because there are things that you can be deficient in. You know, magnesium or vitamin D, vitamin C, all of these things, which we know are essential to the life processes. But there's not been one documented case, and there never will be where somebody was found to be deficient in ivermectin and needed a top-up. So what happens when you put ivermectin into your body is that your body tries to get rid of it straight away. 
It tries so to get it needs rid to of metabolize it. it. It needs to excrete it. It needs to get rid of it. And yeah, like any other medication. So to me, that's a, a heads up that you already need to consider that your body treats it as a potential toxin and ejects it. The other problem is, is that um, say the person did have some parasites on board and the ivermectin killed them and maybe their symptoms do change, but it still doesn't address the underlying problem of whether there were um, other problems going on, you know, just killing the parasites is probably not the solution. And then there's, of course, um, Patrick, this, I won't get into the technical side of things, but people have claimed that it acts against viruses. And these are based on experiments that they did in a laboratory where they said that they had viruses in a test tube and then they started measuring the RNA, you know, mm. the genetic material. Mm. They put lots of ivermectin in and said, hey, look at that, you know, <laughs> there's, there's less genetic material, therefore it must be killing viruses, etc." cetera. Um, so those studies are like all of the other virus studies that don't show the existence of viruses. And they also involve extremely high concentrations in the test tube, which you may not even be able to replicate in the human body. So the from, from our point of view, yeah, the parasites are very interesting and we've only looked and done deep dives into some parasites at the moment and it's certainly an area. I know that we've been looking into it, um, Andy Kaufman, Tom Cowan, mm. um, etc., um, Mike Stone, all looking into this area as well oh, when we get time. Good. And hopefully, you know, we'll be able to produce some more insights into exactly what's going on. But yeah, like we say, usually parasites are a cleanup crew, so... In a country like New Zealand, parasites are relatively uncommon in humans, but in our poor communities, we do see things like scabies and bed bugs, and 100% of the time, it relates to poor living conditions. Yeah. So someone's in a bed where the sheets are never washed, there's an accumulation of biological toxins and dead you know, human debris. cells, debris, etc., and then you get the terrain basically invites in a whole lot of um, an ecosystem, <laughs> a new ecosystem, yeah. And maybe hmm. the person in that bed starts to get bites from all of the, um, you know, parasites that have come to to clear up the mess, basically. And it's something that can be fixed by, you know, washing the sheets and keeping the mattresses clean and all that kind of stuff. And this is nothing new. I mean, this dates back to sure, forever, you know, right? in the time of smallpox when they found that it seemed to be associated with just people not washing their bedding and carpets etc and they'd get a build up of uh, biological material inside a house which would then invite in uh, you know little creepy crawlies and biting biting things Precious. Hmm. so m- most of our listeners are you know are pretty up on it and they're eating the best food they can and water get the sun um, is it safe to say that the idea of parasites being overgrown in their body has not been proven to really be um, going on with healthy people. I mean, have, why would they get overgrown? I mean, if they're just there as a cleanup, why would there get to be too many? I don't understand that. Well, I think it's always going back to basic principles. It's mm-hmm. like, why, okay, that's happening. Why is that happening? That's not the cause of illness. There's something else. And what I, sorry, I was leading to say before, which is interesting, is this idea of heavy metals in people. Mm-hmm. Heavy metals, I got told off for saying that, but, you know, to- <laughs> metals, metals that you're not supposed to have in your body. 
um, is that with ivermectin, that they've found that if you use it, what happens with the, and, and they've got parasites, the person's got parasites, that the parasites release the heavy metals because they were cleaning it up. Really? That's interesting. Yeah, and so we may have a situation here where the, the parasites were actually nature's little remedy trying to mop things up. And often I think if you take all of these parasites and do a chemical analysis, you do start finding increased amounts of chemicals uh, inside them compared to inside our bodies. So they may just be there, and, and that may be why in the third world we see this proliferation of mm. parasites where the people are sick, but they may be even sicker if the parasites weren't there. And I think there's also, wow. Patrick, we've been contacted by people who work in places like Africa where in these malaria bouts where the locals are all getting sick with malaria. And they say that they've lived there for decades and they've never had malaria despite the fact that they're getting bitten relentlessly by mosquitoes. And again, as long as they keep healthy with good nutrition and everything else, they don't seem to be susceptible to malaria. So, you know, and that's why most of us can pass through these regions, spend a few weeks there, none of us pick it up either, despite the fact we get some insect bites. And, you know, the same problem. I mean, I'm sure in, I'm sure in the United States, like in New Zealand, you have lots and lots of mosquitoes, but yeah. nobody's... Not one case, you know, oh, I know in America they've said they've got a couple of cases here and there, but, you know, we shouldn't we all be getting malaria mm -hmm. if we're getting bitten every summer by these mosquitoes? Yeah, we put, posted an article or talked about it, I think it's on Facebook, about the CDC. Um, with uh, They have no evidence that anybody has ever got bit by a tick and it actually caused something. There, there's, it's all just a, a, a rumor or a an internet story, you know, the tick bites will give you Lyme and stuff like that. But 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 back to, to malaria, there there isn't a a molecule or something that is called malaria that's floating around, is there? I mean, isn't just a name that's given to people that get sick or what is it? Well, there is a, a little microbe okay. um, called falciparum. So it's a, a protozoan, so a type of, uh, it's like a bacterial cell, basically. But the problem with it is, is that, yeah, they can't find that this thing causes malaria. It's, there seems to be an association with sick people having increased amounts of this bacteria. But again, this is just a terrain thing, which mm. we talked about earlier. Mm. Sure, you'll get increased numbers of certain bacteria when people get unwell. But um, yeah, I mean, initially, we thought maybe it is a true kind of, quote, infectious disease. But the more we looked into it, the more we are suspicious that the data doesn't add up. And you have to have, the person has to be exposed to other things. And seemingly there are certain areas which is just not suitable for human habitation. You know, and I know in the third world it's difficult because people have very restricted opportunities to move and, and they're impoverished, but they live in areas which are full of other toxins and there are other reasons as to why they get sick so as we say the most important observation i think is to know that people in the first world who are looking after their health do not seem to be susceptible to any parasitic diseases even if uh, local communities which are much poorer do seem to get them so you know if it was an infection 
and uh, it would just it wouldn't worry about which uh, postal code that you lived at you know it wouldn't get to Beverly Hills and say oh no I can't go in there (laughs) you know it would it would just go and affect everyone the same (laughs) there's an old saying it goes back uh, many years in natural healing for a while there all of us used to send out our poop to get tested you know and all that stuff because you know you try all these things right and there was an old saying some guy on the show said well if you get your stool samples tested and they don't find parasites, well, then you better go to a better lab <laughs> because we all have these things, baby. And uh, I always like that. You know, just, it's, the lab wasn't very good if they don't find anything. Uh, maybe right, huh? No, no, no. And you're quite right. I mean, this is where we got. And then what we were talking about earlier with, you know, genetic detection. I mean, because you can just detect anything you want now. And, you you know, it's hard for people to comprehend that when they're going in for one of these tests, whether it be a PCR or anything else, they're so sensitive to these tests. They can find a molecule inside you. Uh, You know, if there are a few in there, they'll find it. And then they'll tell you. It's so... It's really frustrating, Patrick, because people seem to think that these tests tell them, you know, everything. Oh, look at that. Yeah. I did the test and yeah. uh, it's revealed this X, Y, and Z. And then they ignore everything. So apparently they just watch the test. They don't have to think about their diet, their exercise, their uh, thoughts, all that kind of stuff has no bearing whatsoever and it's all on the test. I had, um, I made a video about Lyme disease and it just, sorry, put in my mind when you're talking about this. And I had a lot of backlash about it because these are from people that have Lyme disease and they're very invested in the diagnosis and in the idea of it. And I think it's kind of a tragedy because they're not thinking about, I'm not saying that they don't have symptoms. They do have symptoms, but it's not caused by this entity called Lyme disease. And, And it makes people really, really angry. Yeah. Yeah, you, you sort of you explain to them why well, there's no specific symptoms, there's no specific signs, there's no diagnostic test for it, which the CDC basically admit. And then the person goes, yes, but I have. He froze up there a minute. We're talking with uh, Dr. Mark Bailey, Dr. Samantha Bailey, and their little internet just froze. They look cute, though. This is Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com, tomorrow. Tom Malanga. You, know. oh, you, you just froze up there. Bro- yeah, you, oh, sorry. Sorry, we're you, back. You froze up. You froze up there. You were cute when you froze yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, sorry, we did. Yeah, but yeah. No worries, but I was, yeah, so I was just saying, you know, you have Lyme. something like so-called Lyme disease, no specific signs, no specific symptoms, hmm. no diagnostic test. The CDC admits all of these things. And as you're pointing out recently, uh, FOIA has just revealed no the CDC don't have any evidence that ticks can cause Lyme disease whatsoever it's all speculation and yet like Sam says you know you put this information out there and say well that's not what it is and people say but I have Lyme disease what are you talking about <laughs> and we're saying no no you're sick and you have symptoms etc but that's not what it is yeah and it's this I think this concept of these tests and these the diagnosis People get fixated on them, and it's really untangling that and, and realizing don't go in for these <laughs> tests and don't it, it won't help you actually. That's the that's the bottom line. Yeah, years ago, how what was five years ago? We got all crazy about this twenty three and Me, right? You heard about that one, where you get these little genetic snips and they give you all the the readouts. Have you you've seen that twenty three and Me? 
I think it was just their sneaky way of getting your DNA, you know, or I, it was, because they would, they would tell you that you had this certain thing and then you couldn't methylate and all these things. And I got, I got involved in it for about a month or two and said, I said, this is crazy. I'm not going to go chasing around something that I, there's nothing wrong with me, but I don't methylate vitamin B or something. It was making people crazy and it didn't last long, thankfully. It reminds me a lot of the newborn screening uh, test, you know, the heel prep test that they do. Uh And we had not looked into this. And then when we had our youngest son, we realized that because the whole premise behind is they take this drop of blood and they're testing for these incredibly rare diseases that apparently you can't do anything for anyway. And then what we did realize is that the reason they use it is because the police keep these records of your um, oh, your genetics yeah. so that in the future you, you, you could be doing a crime. Like, you know, if they suspect that you've done a crime, they can go back to these original records and if they find some of your DNA there, um, match up. It's, it's actually used in the police, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's what. So we didn't do it. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, and specifically, so what happens in New Zealand is that um, so the police don't have it initially. It's it's just kept by the hospitals, etc., and the laboratories. So they have everyone, everyone, every child who gets one of these heel pricks, they s- store it basically indefinitely. Sure. Sure. And like Sam says, in the future. The police can simply go to a judge and say, we want the genetic um, sample released from this person. And they don't have to ask your permission or anything. Yeah. It's all done behind closed doors. And then you can be told, well, we've just uh, analysed the crime scene and we found your <laughs> DNA there. So now you're under arrest. And you've been, this is just preposterous. And we know that they make mistakes with these things. So... That, that's the reason why we advise people don't do that certainly here in New Zealand that not to do the heel prick because there's no possible condition that would not manifest anyway yeah. in the child and it, it has been used in New Zealand to nefarious. Um, you know go after people sure. basically yeah. and allege that that's their genetic samples that they're, they're using we have a friend and regular guest uh, Dr. Richard Massey who studies recall healing and some other really cool techniques to get rid of trauma and stuff and and he said, he said that the baby knows a lot, really is very aware after they're born, they know everything that's been going on, even in the womb, right? And then you spend the first 20 minutes after the baby's born inspecting them and looking at them with a test and, and the microscope. And, and, you know, and he said, that's why when you first thing you wake up in the morning, we look in the mirror and we try to see things that are wrong with us. <laughs> it's just interesting. <laughs> He said, he said, it's kind of a loop that we... I, I think... I think it's... I think, And I start thinking yeah, about yeah. that, and I go, what am I looking at? So I, st- I keep looking at myself in the eyes and say, you're doing good, Patrick, and just walk away, because I ain't going to look at myself trying to find something that's wrong with me. No, and I know, Patrick, there's been fascinating animal studies done over the years where if you take an animal and the first thing it sees is various lines or patterns, etc. Right, right. It has a permanent impression on that animal. Like it will see the world in a, a, a certain sure. type of way. So there's all these, and we don't know, that's just a gross thing. We don't know all the subtleties that go on. And I was thinking that because, yeah, our youngest is two. And when he, we, um, when Sam gave birth, 
we were just appalled at the environment in terms of everybody wearing face masks, you know, the child as soon as it opens its eyes. And that's why Sam and I, of course, didn't go along with any of it. We said, well, we're not wearing masks because this was right in the middle of COVID. It was level four lockdown. Like we were... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was crazy time in, in New Zealand. And, uh, you know, and like you say, the probing and the pushing starts straight away. And, of course, um, well, we said, no, well, we're not wearing face masks, so flag that one. And uh, then they say, oh, the baby needs to be injected with vitamin K, you know, within minutes of oh, it um, coming into the world. And we said, no, no, no. does baby's fine, you know. <laughs> he, he doesn't need a thing. He's perfectly healthy. And, oh, well, he could have a brain hemorrhage and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, we said, well, not according to the scientific literature we've looked at, so uh, we won't be doing that one. And, and like you say, and then it's like, oh, we've got to do infection control. And you're like, what are you talking about? You know, you've got a perfectly healthy baby here. And then it's like, let's get him registered on the uh, vaccine, you know, uh, schedule. And we said, no, no, we won't be doing that thing. Okay. So, you know, like you say, this first half an hour of yeah, them being born, it's all about monitoring, jabbing them, yeah. injecting, putting them on registers. And you think it, it, it goes on too, sorry to interrupt, but like yeah. with, I don't know if you have such a thing as Plunkett in, um, in the US, but no. there's a, a an organization in New Zealand, which is follows children, I, spe- I suppose, in, in, instead of maybe the pediatrician in the US follows children and you have constant like monitoring of their height their weight um what are they doing are they breastfeeding um is there domestic violence in the family they they come to your house and then they do these visits and examinations of the child and it is so intensive and i realize exactly how wrong it is this constant monitoring and looking for problems and for um a friend of ours they told their um the mother that the child was a dwarf and just because the child was on the lower end of the height, you know, and they just, and it creates all this um, health anxiety and, and, and it's really wrong. Yeah. Um, you probably know, uh, Doc, uh, Samantha, that they're crazy over here with women and breast cancer. I mean, they want them testing all kinds of stuff all the time. And if you got some little bitty lump or some bit of little bitty something, boy, they, they want to go in there and cut it and do you know weird things to it boy it's I think it's dangerous I wouldn't I wouldn't let those people be messing around with my brass boy I, I know and you're right and we've actually had this discussion it's really interesting you know, with breasts <laughs> with female breasts how basically you're taught and this is what it's taught to you at medical school is either you know you, you use them for breastfeeding for a short period of time and then you probably need to cut them off because you know they could get cancer they're really dangerous things and and you're like why why is it so medicalized and so wow awful yeah you, you, also say patrick that mammography is uh, is another scam that they run and the amount of damage mammography does is incredible because like you say there's a tiny little mass or lump and then they're like well this could be cancer and straight away the woman goes into a very negative mindset she's waiting for scans and biopsies and surgery etc and you know it's a false alarm a lot of the time and then they're just discarded and said oh you're fine see you later (laughs) the woman's now been scarred with all of these um, procedures and stuff and and also as we say it doesn't really address the underlying problem and why are all these women 
um, why would they all be getting cancer? They're yeah. all being told, oh, there's a one in three chance that you'll get it in your lifetime and something. Clearly, if that's the case, something's badly wrong with the environment that they're in. And you understand so, yeah. how, uh, how, how um, it could be so dangerous when somebody in a white coat who the people respect say that you have this or you could get this or you know you have stage four cancer or something. I don't know how you even survive that. I don't even know how you can survive people saying, you know, you, you have stage four cancer, you know. Man, it's just, it's just, I had a good friend of mine that um, she got a, a, um, a little lump in her breast and she kind of knew that it was because she was taking care of her father who was really having a hard time and, and actually on the way out and she was all stressed out about it. And she got that. She listened to the show. She got that. And she said, well, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to just change my way and I'm going to let him go and give it to God. And the, the, the lump just went away. It, it just went away. That's all she did was change her viewpoint. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Wow. You, give me sh- you give me shivers when you talk like that. Yeah, yeah. Patrick, that's such a nice story. <laughs> it, it's, just, it's just a beautiful thing. I know. And I'll tell you, Patrick, and this is not a cancer story, but this is um, a story of a health problem that I had where, you know, in my younger days, I was a professional athlete for a while and used to do a huge amount of training, you know, seven, eight hours a day sometimes. And I was plagued with pain in my left sacroiliac joint down in the hip. And I just thought it was because of the huge training load that I was doing. And then when I retired and got into my sort of mid-30s, the pain just kept on going and I couldn't get rid of it. And I thought I went to, you know, different therapists and doctors and stuff and they all had their ideas about doing X, Y, and Z. And it wasn't until I went into a deep relaxation one day and just became aware of my body, basically, and just started thinking more carefully and considerately about it. It was with a craniosacral... I was in the middle of a craniosacral relaxation and, you know, I had this experience where I saw all these kind of scintillations and stuff and felt funny electrical shocks down in my sacroiliac joint. And the therapist didn't know what had happened and she said, oh, something funny happened. And and she didn't actually fix it, but she gave me this awareness that I needed to be different. I needed to approach my body differently. And... It was amazing. Within two weeks, I just I noticed when I was out running or doing things, I just had a different way of being, a different way of thinking about the way my body was moving, etc. And within two weeks, the pain just disappeared. And it disappeared. It was yeah. no therapy, no injections, no surgery, no nothing. And after 15 years of this kind of inflammation in the joint, it just went away and has never come back. And that was, you know, about eight years ago or something. And yeah, again, it's this example of uh, our humans are so tempted just to say, well, just give me the injection or give me the process or the drug or whatever. The quick fix. And and often people un- really underestimate that you have to take a step back and say, what is it that I'm doing? What what can I do to mm-hmm. improve? And, and that can mean, you know, lumps and bumps can actually disappear from the body. They will. I chased a thing... I, I chased uh, symptoms of, of heartburn for about two years. You know, and you go through the whole thing with, well, you know, you got H. pylori, you know, I bought into that for a while and then do this and too much acid, too much alkaline, and blah, 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 two years. And I just kept asking God, okay, something's going on here. What's the deal? What's the deal? And I meditate and contemplate. 
And at the end of the day, I found out it was me. It was just me that I was creating tension with anything, house payment or, you know, just you name it, you know, living on, on the earth plane. And that was the burn. And, and once I saw that, I couldn't, I didn't fix it right away because it's pretty tricky, you know, because you think your stomach is separate from who you are, but just like you find, it's not, baby, we are the stomach, and if there's something going on in the stomach, it's me, you know? <laughs> and, and it's just so fascinating to look at it and to see it like that, and now I just practice, you know, sometimes I just move into it and it hurts, and then all of a sudden it goes away, it's just amazing, you know, being a spiritual being in these bodies, boy. We have a lot to learn, don't we? How this all works. Whoa. Yeah, and I think, Patrick, um, there are, I mean, there are scientific explanations for this. Sure. So, for instance, um, as, as you're experiencing, whenever you have a thought, whether it's positive or negative, so you have an emotion, and with that emotion comes release of hormones and these messengers inside your body, and they will manifest in physical ways. So, you know, do. You, we, we all know this from a young age because we get that sense of when something happens, we feel it in our in our gut. Sure, or sure. we feel a sense, something comes over us all of a sudden, a sudden feeling. And that is, that is this release of, uh, you know, electrical activity and hormones, etc., which cause these changes. And, I mean... You know how many people we meet that um, have health problems and then you get into it and they're in a dysfunctional marriage, they hate their job, sure. they are under financial strain, they've found that they've lacked purpose, they've you know lost contact with their kids or whatever. And then they say, you know, what's what's my problem here? You know? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, we got, got a little bit to talk about it. I got a pain in my shoulder yeah. that's um, yeah. you know, and they think that maybe if they have an MRI of the shoulder that's yeah. provide them with the answers you know and we always say to them well how about you just address all of these other things going on and then see where things are at because yeah. you know to your to your point there you, you froze up again uh, sam bailey and dr mark bailey they're on um some kind of satellite thing and froze their internet watch it they'll poof back watch <laughs> we used to see it. Do you know, Patrick, how many times? You, you froze you froze up a little bit. You froze up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. Well, I just uh, was saying that, um, you know, the amount of times now we see someone present with some sort of physical problem and they'll say, oh, my back hurts or I get these headaches or, you know, I've got this pain in my knee or whatever. And once upon a time when sam and i were in that medical paradigm we'd go straight to that area of the body mm. start examining it you know running sure. a few tests on it maybe getting some x-rays and stuff and say that's where the problem is mm. and now we hardly ever do that yeah. we just step back and say can you just tell me what you're doing yeah and, what's going on and it's yeah. funny how quickly you identify what the problem is and you can see that but they can't often they can't see it that's no. what's hard is it's like oh, it's, yeah. trying to Sorry, yeah. No, that's okay. Because we know yeah. that the body is is perfect. It, um, and this is what people have to appreciate. Mm -hmm. And once we appreciated this, it, it unlocked health for us and our own families. 
the body always wants to get back to that perfect state. Mm. That's what it does. Nature doesn't make mistakes. That's what it, it does for a living, right? Doing its own thing and <laughs> running away. It, you know, you get these beautiful vehicles that we're in, and uh, it's only when we don't pay attention to the signals or when we transgress mm. against nature and God that things start to go wrong, and we have to bring them back into balance. And yeah. sometimes it's tricky because the local you know, town might pollute the water supply. Yes. And you, but again, you have to say, well, I'm responsible for checking, yeah. you know, water. whether the water's safe or not. Mm-hmm. Or you might live in a city where there's a factory that's just releasing bits of pieces, dioxins and other toxins into the air. And you might say, well, that's not my fault. The EPA and all of these other people are supposed to keep an eye on that. But you're foolish trusting mm-hmm. those organisations, you know. Uh, with your own health and safety, so yeah, it's just like a, an awareness of, um, of of everything really, and accepting that if you are unwell, the best person to fix it is yourself. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, because in a classic example, as you say, is breast cancer. Because mm-hmm. if you go to the doctor, they want the scans, they want the biopsy, they want to send the tissue, and this is all they talk about. They they say yes, we've got. Uh, it sounds very sophisticated. They say, we did a blood test and you've got these markers. Uh, we sent the tissue to the lab and we found that it's got these particular uh, characteristics, etc. And there's nothing in there where they say, what's going on in your life right now? Yeah. You know, what are, the, what are the stresses? And it's also, yeah, this concept of you're always fighting your body. Like women that get breast cancer, they want it cut out. They it's want cut. it gone because yeah. it's a cancer and it's bad. Instead of thinking this is part of you, this is your body, your body's healing, it's trying to do something, it's trying to, but you you, you have to do the, the work out why it's happened in the first place. And I think that is key with cancer, is it's not the cancer, it's why, why has it happened? And people don't ask that question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this is where it's all going. I know that Stefan Lanka is really looking at the whole soul, mind, body thing now, and so is Cowan the new biology and Kaufman and you guys are and I am this is where it's going because we we, we are souls spiritual beings and we're creating all of this stuff right every bit of it every bit of it you know <laughs> and you, we might as well take responsibility and say well what am I doing because I can change that right I can change I can, I, can let that, I can let that one go wow it's fascinating yeah. And you look, you look around and people, and I, I see it with people that are in their 80s and they're in such amazing health. What you're taught at medical school is that, oh no, it's this terrible decline, getting old is hideous. And I'm like, why does it have to be that way? <laughs> really? I think I mean, it's all a scam. It's, it's, I think it's yeah. all a big scam. I think aging is just made up. And and you know what, big picture, I, I think it's uh, very fascinating to look at things like um, nuclear war, uh, terrorism, um, whatever, you know, viruses, all these things that these controllers, whoever they are, they want us to think that we are separate from all of these things, right? And, but, and, and, and once, once you get this idea of separation, then it's easy to convince somebody that the thing out there, which is really you, wants to get you, you know, and they're bad and they're mean and, you know, they want to kill you because they don't like us. And I think it's all just made up. I think it's just one big fear porn. You know, they just want to keep us running around, you know, looking for something that we have to kill. And the whole, 
the whole war thing is based on that, right? It's all based on that. Got to kill. Got to kill them. Wow. Well, yeah, what about I think you, so, Patrick? And one thing which is always a red flag to us whenever we hear a new story being propagated around the place is, is this another fear-based narrative? And we see it all the time because, you know, we see it with um, the COVID stuff where they say, oh, they're doing gain of function and, you know, the alternative uh, news picks up on this and thinks that, oh, my goodness, this is what Fauci's been up to. And we say just, just hold back because you've got to go back to the higher level of evidence and say they don't have evidence for viruses so how could they be doing gain of function and similar with things like people then they say oh the vaccinated are causing the unvaccinated have problems and stuff and again we're like well wait wait a minute if if we can see from rosenau and all these other experiments and and uh the blown apart prion hypothesis all of these things which haven't come to fruition Hmm. why would we believe that now this is happening to us for the first time, you know, in thousands of years. So, yeah, we um we always look at those fear narratives and say, you know, if the basis of it is like you say to feel like you've become disconnected, that there's nothing you can do about this. Uh, the red flag goes off for us because we don't find that in life. We find that everything that happens that you are connected to and you can do something about it. And for us, you know, that might mean during COVID madness, we go to the mall and everyone's wearing face masks, but not our family, because at least we brought it down just a wee notch, you know. It was complete insanity and madness, but we thought, well, we'll do our bit just to bring back a little bit of humanity. Have you you all in, 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 um, in New Zealand been seeing this new variant uh, stuff being sold? It's really ramping up here. And, uh, yeah. They're going to run with this one. We, we haven't a new one. Yeah. We haven't had it here, but it's election time at the moment. So that you know, the powers that be are distracting us with some more circus. And <laughs> I see bread and circus. I see they're pretty clever. These guys, they know how to do it, boy. Yeah, yeah, they're they're running yeah, with this Patrick, one. Um, yeah, yeah. I know we've seen that coming from the US, and mm-hmm. we're hearing that from our US friends that they're starting to ramp things up again. Yeah. And yeah. but we know also that each country runs its own scams at slightly different times. And as Sam says, we're where shortly we have the major general elections in New Zealand. Um, We don't vote or participate. I think the elections are next month. That's from what I gather. Um, But we ignore that side of things, that illegitimate claims to power. So, yeah, but no, we have had, um, you won't believe it, Patrick, but two weeks ago, Sam was on the front page of the major newspapers in New Zealand. and. They were. Was it a uh, nice picture? Was it a nice picture? I think they were promoting (laughs) the book or something. (laughs) But uh, apparently, they were trying to portray her as you know, because Patrick, they they decided that the vaccines were safe and effective, and uh, you know, this has been the official decree from the government. So anyone else is spreading misinformation or disinformation. Disinformation. Disinformation, Yeah. So we were we were quite intrigued that um, so they had this public show trial for Sam, and Sam didn't turn up. Oh, um, you, didn't, you didn't show at up? At all. You didn't show up. No, it went on for like five days. It was supposed to be for a day. I didn't even know about it. Someone else told me that my name was on the website that we're having this trial and it was coming up. And we're like, okay. And then they hold this trial and there's reporters there and it's all over the over the main news. And, um, and it was quite funny because it was a big letdown for, for them because I never turned up. 
So, so what were you on trial for? Well, it's, it's like they used to do with the witches, you know, a hundred years ago, you know? <laughs> what were you on trial yeah, no, for? And this is, Just saying the vaccines the are thing. not safe? Yeah, this is the thing, Patrick. What, what they're trying to do is we can't even believe that this, you know, they, they've been watching Sam for three years, you mm. know, and then decide to tr make a prosecution attempt and, you know, halfway through or, or late 2023. And they say that they need to keep the public safe, you know. Mm -hmm. And we're like, what are you talking about? You've been, <laughs> Sam's been making videos nonstop yeah. in early 2020, and now <laughs> they're deciding to step in and do something. And uh, it's really funny the way they portray it because, you know, they, one thing, they, they won't mention me. They won't mm -hmm. say that there's two of us doing this, uh -huh. that there are two doctors, because that would look really, really bad for them. They, they won't, won't mention my books or... Yeah, they won't mention any of the technical papers that we've written and stuff, because, you know, it's easier to go after Sam's um, videos where she's just trying to communicate ideas to the public and stuff. And we just think, my goodness, they're desperate. They've got such a problem now that uh, so many people are aware of what's going on. And... Another friend told us that um, they switched the comments off on these platforms uh -huh. because too many people were supporting Sam. And these are on mainstream platforms. These are not on the usual platforms that we're on where the audience is, is really awake and stuff. And uh, th this is actually people going, well, you know, they're actually waking up to how much of a scam the whole thing was, even if they went along with it initially and had the jabs and stuff. So, so no, that was... I'd wait, I, I, can I tell my a quick funny story, sure. Patrick? Was um, on in the middle of the trial, um, in the middle of the week, because of all this attention, I had like, all these book sales like locally. So I went to the post box, the post lady, to post all these books, and she's going through scanning them, and then she's like, "Oh, oh, what are you? Are you selling something?" I said, "Yeah, it's my book." And she said, "Oh, um, what's it called? What's the title?" And I said, "Virus Mania." And she said, oh, that's funny. We were talking about viruses this morning, you know, how they're not really going away. And I said, no, they won't. That's what the book's about. And But you know that there's nothing to fear with viruses. And she's like, yep, yep, I know that. And then she takes me over to the counter to pay. And as I, <laughs> as I look down, I see I'm on the front page of the newspaper, the main <laughs> newspaper, because we don't get the newspaper. I had no idea. And then she, I realised that she doesn't even see this. She, she didn't, she didn't put two and two together. And this is the effect of the mainstream media. It doesn't have, you know, it doesn't do anything. It's just so, Amazing. yeah, crazy. Well, so, were you found guilty at the trial that you didn't attend? <laughs> <laughs> Did they, well, we, we, were you guilty? we have no idea, Patrick. <laughs> um, we don't, we don't know because they never. Sam hasn't talked to them for so long. Wow. It's been almost, you know, a couple of years since she last communicated with the authorities. So, and we're using um, equity law, so like a type of, you know, uh, common law. Yeah. Um, yeah. Approach, but we we literally do not know. And I think they were apparently a friend of ours went down just to have a look on a couple of the days, and he said, well. They were scratching their head because they didn't know what to do with Sam because she's already publicly announced that if they strike her off, she doesn't care. She doesn't want to be in there. I'm like, yes, cult, and, right. and they're, they're struggling to come up with. I don't um, want to be in your club. Uh, and you like, you like this one, Patrick. Um, <laughs> there was mention that she'd need to attend a communications workshop oh, to good. improve her communication skills. So, okay, well, that'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> but these people <laughs> don't have any control over you because you're not in the system, right? You're just a private citizen doing whatever, free speech. 
Yeah, it's it's much more strict here though, Pat, Patrick, than say in the US. Like they're trying to use the fact that I have been a doctor and I've been on their register to control my speech, oh, and yeah. that's part of it. So Mark has more free speech abilities than me. <laughs> yeah, well, what what's happened here, Patrick, is that Sam and I have both used the principles of equity and issued the authorities with these notices. Right. Now they responded. They responded to mine very quickly and disappeared me from all public records. So, the I'm not attached to the medical system whatsoever. For some reason, they've kept Sam on it because they just they love her so much, and you know they don't want her leaving that cult. It's like so. a bad breakup. I'm <laughs> yeah. just like, let's end it. Come on, I don't want to go out with you anymore. They're like, we we need to we need to keep you in the system. So hmm. yeah, and but in New Zealand, we don't have. A constitution oh, like you, you guys and i know oh, yeah. there are problems with the constitution itself and and how it's respected and stuff but we new zealand just has this loose collection of documents and our free speech document the bill of rights is useless useless basically yeah. because they can override it they just introduce a clause somewhere else and say oh yeah, yeah you have free speech you have free speech um Oh, unless you're a doctor and then you don't have free speech, you know. So in New Zealand, to give you an idea, we have uh, TV presenters, radio DJs, um, the man on the street, the shopkeeper, the weatherman. They can all give out medical advice. <laughs> they can tell you, they can say, hey, put a mask on, get a test, um, take the jab, all this kind of stuff. If Sam says, hey, I looked at this virology paper from, you know, March 2020 and I found some problems with it and here's why. Got a little internet issue with uh, our feed to Australia, but they're coming back. They freeze up. Sam Bailey, Mark Bailey, Tom Luongo will be here tomorrow. Uh, apparently Sam's in big trouble. Well, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you froze yeah, up. So I was just saying, Patrick, that um, every man on the street in New Zealand is allowed to weigh in and give medical opinions and advice. But um, if you're on the medical register, like oh. Sam is, and even if you do a very detailed analysis of the thing, suddenly you're told you're not allowed to say that, you know, because that's that's not in lockstep with the government. Well, Sam, you were a big TV star, so they know you, right? But that's that's before they fired you because you were you were. How vocal about the dangers of vaccines. They they took you off the show. You had a big show in in, in uh, New yeah, Zealand. Yeah, huh? well, for New Zealand it was. Yeah, it's um yeah, <laughs> not like the states, but it was. Yeah, exactly. I was golden girl, and that's what's funny is that both of us were golden girl, golden boy, and we've become these rebels <laughs> that that speak out against their system. And man, we're causing the major headaches. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're looking back and saying we should never have let those two in the door, you know, because we learned all their secrets. We were trained up in their dark arts, mm. and now we're exposing it and saying, look, this is, and it's not just, you know, the virus and virology fraud, et cetera, but it's the wider paradigm of allopathic medicine. And we're proof of the pudding. We are two doctors who have moved out of that paradigm and moved our families and friends out of that paradigm to the point where we reject, you know, 90 plus percent of, of what we were trained up to do in medicine. And I know, you know, similarly to the to Tom Cowan and Andy Kaufman and um, 
you know, Kelly Brogan, et cetera, we were all trained and well qualified in these arts. And then we said... And well respected. I mean, that would be fair, is that we didn't have complaints. You know, it was people liked us as patients. And, and this is the problem is that they don't want people listening to us because, you know, it might do something. Might do something, yeah. <laughs> and before we go, you recently did a, a video on, on RFK Jr., who's... He's really causing a, quite a stir here. He's getting, he's actually getting some press, and and he's calling out some pretty interesting things. But he's still a virus guy, right? Uh, he's still a virus guy. Yeah, yeah. The I think the the point of the video it's, it should be coming out really soon uh, tonight. Um, yeah, it's it was out to subscribers, and it will go public really soon. Tonight. Yep. Yeah, but um, I think the point really of the video wasn't. I wasn't to attack RFK Junior. What I thought was, well, what we thought <laughs> was really interesting was the idea of what the media do, of what they don't say, is that this is the areas you think that this would be such an area of weakness that they'd go for the kill by mentioning the fact that he, um, you know, questions why AIDS happens. He questions the HIV virus yes, story. And that's that's more what it was about is going. This is what they're not talking about, and that's because it could potentially cause a huge host of problems. They talk about everything else. They discredit him in every other way. Mm -hmm. And I personally, I like RFK Junior. I think he's done some amazing work, especially around vaccines. And but it's just it was more not to attack him. Would you say that's fair? Yeah. No. Definitely, Patrick, we've pointed out that they may have made a mistake with the fact that uh, in the real Anthony Fauci, uh, RFK Jr. says, well, this whole aid science is a complete bollocks, basically. Fauci's lying about the whole thing. They invented this whole thing and have scammed the world for decades now. Wow, yeah. And the, the problem is, is that that's just the tip of the iceberg, as mm. you know, because it goes much further. It goes into the bigger field of virology itself. You know, if AIDS is a scam, it, and I know the Perth group, that's why they chose to expose the HIV AIDS hypothesis because Eleni uh, Papadopoulos realised that if people could see that AIDS was a fraud as it was being presented, the whole house of cards the whole of thing comes infectious viruses yeah. and quotes would come collapsing yeah. down. So and anyway, so RFK Jr., I don't know if this is by design or not, it may have been accidental, but because he's brought this to the surface and he's put it into a book, other people are starting to notice it and say, well, why doesn't the media just go after him and call him an AIDS denialist? Because none of them will. New York mm. Times, Washington Post, none of them will mention it. And you'd think if this, if the science is so settled, why don't they just publicly call out RFK Jr. and say he got it wrong? Now, RFK Jr.'s position is slightly different than ours. He just says that, you know, there is a virus, but it's harmless and it yeah. doesn't cause AIDS. And he believes in gain of function. But, <laughs> but yeah. our position is, is that there's no particle that's a virus called HIV. It just doesn't exist as a particle. So, yeah, but it, it's very interesting. And I think, Patrick, they, they have to, it's so hard to keep a lid on the virus mm. fraud because they don't want the public to see what we're talking about. And that's why the shadow banning and the yeah. overt banning and censorship has been so intense. And we know of all of the things related to COVID-19, the thing that got censored the most, and we can see this on our metrics, is the no virus argument that universally gets suppressed yeah. to the point where most people have never heard of it. I, I think they're running still this whole lab leak thing, lab leak thing that uh, 
and President Trump calling the China virus, it seems like that was a cover to get you looking over there to cover up the fact that there is no virus, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the one thing. And just and RFK Jr. Sam said has raised awareness about a lot of stuff, but now his new book looks like it's going to take people straight back into the straight paradigm, in. unfortunately. Yeah. His new book, The Wuhan Cover-Up, and it looks like it's going to be all about this gain of function. With nonsense. Yeah. Nonsense of mythical unicorns and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it concerns me that um, RFK Jr. Uh, does point out problems with vaccines, but then pulls the audience straight back into the whole infection virus Lab- paradigm as well. Lab- so, Lab- and I don't know. I don't know. I can't speak for, for his motivations. Well, I think they're looking for any way they can to just, you know, punch China in the mouth too, you know, because they don't like China because they're big and strong, you know, yeah. you know how governments are. <laughs> they're all crazy anyway. Well, you two are doing great yeah. stuff. What are you, you going to do today in New Zealand? What are you going to do fun? You, you have animals? We you, have, have, you have animals? Yeah, we're actually having a whole lot of people over today. It's a special um, kind of day, so oh. having a big lunch. It's a, it's a lovely sunny day. We're going to probably play some games on the oh. lawn. And have some lunch, nice lunch. And this is a great crowd, Patrick, because when they did the mandates in New Zealand, they said to all of the restaurants, cafes, you cannot have unvaxxed people, you cannot have unvaxxed staff, you have to do X, Y, and Z. And we had some restaurants in New Zealand that stood up to it and said, no, we're not discriminating. They didn't discriminate and they had their businesses thrived with the freedom community. So yeah, one of those groups is um, coming out to our farm today for a bit of a celebration and uh, they've supported us and we've supported them. So it's a really special time. Well, it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, just how many big companies, you know, like the Home Depots and the Targets and the big food stores, Whole Foods and all that, if they jump on the whole mask thing this time around. It'd be great if they didn't, but, you know, we don't know yet whether or not they're going to start. What's it like with you, where you are, um, Patrick? Is it, are they bringing in, are they talking about mask mandates and stuff? Or what's the, because Texas is pretty Mostly it's it's just on the media. Mostly it's just on the media now. And so I don't think it's uh, ramped up enough for the big stores like we have a, and HEB, 600 stores in Texas that had mass things last time and plastic up and everything. So I've already written them a couple of letters saying, you know, don't do this, you know, and I, I send them files, but I don't, I don't know if they ever read them. But so we don't know, you know, how bad. But I get a feeling there's a lot of real, real skepticism this time around. I think there's some deep skepticism that we got scammed because, you know, we did. <laughs> Because we did, yeah. Because <laughs> we did, yeah. And we know that we know that when this one wears out, because the whole COVID infection thing, eventually people will catch on, and yeah. they won't. They'll have to move to the next thing. And as you know, it's probably climate change. There may be some um, space invaders or something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think aliens. I think aliens are next. Really, I think aliens are going to be next. That'll be <laughs> that'll be fun. Well, you two are just so fun yeah. to talk to. Now, I'd like to uh, encourage you to go drsambailey.com. And I'm a little member. I think it's only 5 or $10 a month, and I get to see all of her videos. So why don't you do that? Support her. Support her. Because she has chicken feed and kids Aww. and, you know, stuff like that. DrSamBailey.com. And what is it? Is it 5 or 10 bucks a month? How do you do that? Do you know? Yeah, it's just 
it's five dollars a month or if people are really keen they can do a whole year for fifty dollars um, and yeah get everything yeah yeah but we should point out patrick that most of the content is available for free so sam has youtube um well that doesn't have much on anymore but odyssey channels and stuff and the website you can people can come to the website there's heaps of resources available yeah. for free the vast majority and if they want to make a donation or become a subscriber that's that's optional yeah that's good well you're doing great thanks for being here really, oh, really a pleasure you're thanks so much patrick you're so that's... fun to talk to you know thank you patrick just love you guys <laughs> <laughs> we do too we love you <laughs> thank you and you have a have a nice lunch have some fun okay a lot of fun okay will do <laughs> love you too thanks, thanks. patrick bye-bye take care Wow, well, just really great people, huh? My God. Well, we are going to, um, I don't know what we're going to do. I'm just going to do something. It's oneradionetwork.com. We will, um, what are we going to do? I don't know. I think we're going to do something at noon, which will be in about a half an hour or so. I got a feeling I'm going to come back and play. We recorded this guy, so, you know, um, We recorded this on Monday afternoon, and it's Tuesday morning now. But uh, hope you enjoyed the show. We didn't do any, we didn't play any commercials or anything because I didn't want to. But if if you would like to support us, you can do the same thing that I encourage you to do with Dr. Bailey. Is on the video, look down below. You'll see three links. The first link is donations second link is our store and the last link is our website and you can click on that donation link on on BitChute or on the audio page and um, send us 10 bucks a month or five bucks whatever you got that's how we're we're really moving towards supporting ourselves because we don't want to depend on commissions from products because a lot of folks are having a hard time you know just doing the house payment and car payment and food, you know, the uh, everything's going up and uh, the sales have just really declined in the last six months. And this is a, you know, this is a paradigm that we had for uh, 15 years it worked. And it just, so something big is going on with the money thing and we're going to talk to Tom Luongo about that tomorrow, Wednesday at noon. Um, so, we're doing the best we can and we appreciate your support. So if you'd like to support us, you can donate, send us some few bucks every month. And uh, what else? I have something else here. Well, that's about it. So I'm going to probably see you in about a half an hour. As I said, it's Monday afternoon as I'm speaking to you. So I'm not sure where I'm going to be uh, spiritually and emotionally and physically tomorrow morning, uh, Wednesday, Tuesday morning. When you're recording stuff, it'll make you crazy. But I'll see. Probably see you. And we'll come on and talk about some stuff at noon, about half an hour from now. So I love you all. Let me know if I can help you with anything. Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com This is a great show with Dr. Mark and Sam Bailey. Please pass on these links to everyone that you care about and help them to understand how these bodies of our work and uh, we're really, we're really gaining on um, getting the, the truth out there. A lot of people are, are waking up. So 
Okay, love you guys. See you tomorrow or see you later. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.